Welcome to the Suffering Podcast. Each week, we walk you through how suffering is the way to sustainable success and the path to greatness. We are now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other major podcast platform. Please subscribe and like to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. You can always find our latest episodes at thesufferingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. Please comment. We may even read your comments on future podcasts and even reach out to you for a future guest spot. Like and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Suffering Podcast. Here you'll see links to episodes, updates, and inside information on how to achieve greatness through the joy of suffering. So get ready, sit down, and strap in. Strap in. We are proud to introduce the Dented Development Project. In conjunction with the Suffering Podcast, the Dented Development Project is a nonprofit 501c3 with a mission. That's to help first responders and their families repair dents caused by suffering. Visit us at DentedDevelopmentProject.com and get involved today. Helping us means that we can take care of those who take care of us. Sit your ass, Sit your down. ass down. Sit your ass Sit down. Your down. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. And strap in. This is gonna hurt. Gonna hurt. This is gonna hurt. Gonna hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. It's time to start the pain. This is gonna hurt. It's time for the Suffering Podcast. We all need a little relief from time to time. And there's a new product out there that I want you to go check out. It's called Heroes Relief Wine. This wine's gonna benefit four organizations dedicated to relieving the heavy burdens that weigh on our military and first responders' shoulders. These are people who take care of us. It's time we start returning the favor. This wine's gonna benefit Live Free Farm, a veteran-run and owned animal sanctuary dedicated to the healing of invisible scars through animal therapy. 23rd Hour Angels, the healing team is comprised of three beautiful women that rescue military and first responders from the burdens that trauma causes. Dented Development Project and the Suffering Podcast help repair dents caused by suffering in first responders and their families by showing how there is light in the end of the tunnel. So go to oldyorksellers.com and search for Heroes Relief Wine or check our show notes for the link. All new Suffering Podcast gear is here. The show depends heavily on our supporters to get the word out. Let people know that suffering is a team sport and no one is alone in their struggles. Wearing the Suffering Podcast merchandise accomplishes that goal. Check out our store at thesufferingpodcast.com or check our show notes for the link. Your support and love means everything to us. I'm sitting here. I'm trying to write this introduction to this show, and it took a really long time. There's something that's very rare that happened to me. It's never happened to me before where I was at a loss for words. I mean, how do you respond when someone tells you for no reason, I'm praying for you? I start thinking to myself, who am I to be prayed for? I'm nobody. You start going through things in your head and asking yourself, am I worthy? Why would somebody invest their time in me? These questions and a lot more questions have kept me up a couple nights now. But I think the simplest answer is that there's people in this world, and there are a really select few people, that look at the crowd rather than look in the mirror. They teach us how to organize our suffering. They're shepherds that are looking after their flock. They're bringing in sheep who have strayed. They empower us with a sense of hope, purpose, and understanding. I'm Kevin Donaldson. I'm here with Mike Felice, and I'm talking to our guest today, Adam Burt. Adam is here on the Suffering Podcast to talk about the suffering of a man of God. Now, this is a guy who's accomplished so much in another life. I mean, Adam played 737 games in the National Hockey League. He appeared in 21 Stanley Cup playoff games. He had 95 fights, but chose to change career trajectories rather than just rest on his past accomplishments. 
He became a man of God who now prays for me. Adam, I'm trying to figure out what you did to me. But these conversations you had, and you sort of got in my head, but welcome. Thank you so much for coming in today. Hey, Kevin, Mike, just uh, honored to be a part, and uh, yeah, glad to be here. You didn't reference the fact that I had, I had 95 fights, but uh, the internet also said that I only won five of them, so <laughs> so I wasn't very good at it. But hey, man, dude, life is a lot like that, right? NHL, it's just tough, man, and we all, we all need each other, right? It's not, it's not about how hard you can get hit, it's how hard you can keep getting hit and keep moving forward, right? Hey, man, brother. Yeah, that's it, that's it. So usually at this time in the podcast, I read a social media question. I couldn't do that. Because I had a conversation this week with a gentleman. His name is Gene Halberger. And this was probably one of the most devastating conversations I've ever had in my life. He's listened to a couple episodes of the Suffering Podcast and reached out to us through a mutual friend. And I got to hear Gene's story. His story is truly remarkable. And he is going to come in on this show sometime in the, in the very near future. But his son, Jimmy, was lost to suicide. He was lost to suicide after years and years of, of bullying. And bullying is something that's very close to my heart and protecting the bullied. I know Gene's going to be listening to this. And I wanted to read this quote. A gentleman who I admire, Marcus Luttrell, the lone survivor, said recently that when we are born, we immediately begin to die. While we're here, we must learn to live. And those that are taken early accomplish the mission. So, Gene, I just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. I want everybody to go to the Jimmy Halberger Memorial Foundation. I'll put the, the link in the show notes so everybody can just take a look and, and hear this amazing story. So, Adam, I know a little bit about you, but I really just want you to give the Suffering Podcast audience a little background on yourself. Yeah, well, I, I don't know how far you want me to go back, but I was uh, born. You could in, leave the diapers days out. Start, start, <laughs> start at conception. <laughs> uh, born in Detroit, Michigan. And let me see, got a, a brother and sister, both young. My parents divorced at, at, a, at age 11. So that was kind of a defining moment for me as a little kid, you know, and, and did uh, kind of adjust the trajectory of my life. And at 16 years old, I, I moved away to, to try and make it in the NHL. So the junior hockey leagues are up in Canada. So I went up to, at 16, North Bay, Ontario, was up there, uh, found a hot Canadian chick, and uh, she'd later go on to be my wife. And at, <laughs> at, at 18 years old, eligible for the NHL draft. And so it was held in Detroit, Michigan, my hometown. So Joe Louis Arena, there was like 20,000 people in there. And it was kind of like the pinnacle uh, of uh, time for me. You know, I'd, my whole life had been built into this moment. And I was supposed to get drafted in the first round. I got drafted late in the second round. So it was kind of like a bittersweet thing. It was a great day, but as well, it was just kind of felt like a little bit of a you know disappointment, kind of failed. I moved away to uh, Hartford, Connecticut. The, the Hartford Whalers had drafted me. I mean, you know you're old when the team doesn't exist anymore, right? <laughs> so we got moved to uh, uh, Hartford and just uh, played there for a while and wound up playing in the NHL for about 14 years and that's a long career in the NHL. Yeah, the, yeah, the average career is five, so I'm I'm grateful. I'm I mean, grateful. it just beats your body. Got to take a lot of toll. Yeah, yeah. I, I do have a Canadian question for you. Okay. So my knowledge of Canadians consists of Bob and Doug McKenzie from Strange Brew. <laughs> it's pretty much like that. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. much a lot of A's and I, yeah, posers yeah. and yeah. stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be a beer is part of the uh, major food groups. Now, do they do they take breaks throughout the day? The average person who works to play hockey, bro, it is it is a religion. Just think NFL. Up there is Canada. They eat, sleep, drink it. The whole you're you're a celebrity. I was just playing as a 16 year old kid, and you're still kind of a celebrity up there. Okay. So yeah, so it's, it's a pretty big deal. That's pretty cool. What did it feel like to be just have that notoriety at 16 years old? Because you don't have those mechanisms to deal with any type of exposure. Yeah, well, I got to marry over my head because of that. So my, my, you got my to chicks, marry up. My, yes, it. My, I'll ponder my coverage. Yeah, kicked and, his that, coverage. That's right. That's right. So, uh, so I can talk real well. That's why I married yeah. up, <laughs> bro. You got the good radio voice, though. Like, come on, you're legit. Man. He's got he's got a face for radio. Yeah, I got a face for radio. <laughs> Listen, when I start doing car commercials and talking real fast, then it's time for me to hang it up. Was there somebody that kind of guided you along? Like, when did you start seeing that you had this aptitude to even go into? 
the NHL. I, I, I want to know what that journey's like. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, like I said, my parents divorced when I was 11, and my father and I always had this kind of hockey thing. He grew up, like he played hockey. My grandfather was actually uh, the Detroit Red Wings for the old-timer alumni team, so Gordy Howe and these guys. Oh, so That's we, cool. Yeah, that's yeah. Great. We got to, uh, I got to learn to skate at the old Olympia Arena, so it was pretty cool, but the, the funny part was is, uh, like Kevin, Mike, to shoot you guys straight, man, I, I sucked. So <laughs> like the only reason I made the first team is, is my old man was a coach. And so, uh, and I guess you can't cut your kid from the team. So I cut uh, my kid tomorrow. if you suck. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, it was funny. My, my dad, he did say this. He said, whenever you, you fell down, you kept getting back up again. And I think that was kind of the thing. If I was to say the one underlying thing that helped me go to the next level was I was just going to keep getting up, man. I know everybody has a hardship in their life, a suffering in their life. And I'm always interested to find out what you believe your greatest suffering story is. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. Cause I've, I've, you know, got a chance to listen to the podcast and hear some, uh, and it to be perfectly, you know, shoot you straight. You know, I sit here, I'm like, wow, I, I, you know, I can't measure up even to what you guys have been through, but I think we'd all agree too, that, that suffering, you know, there's, while it may be different degrees, the, the pain is still equally real, you know, when we're doing stuff. And so it doesn't matter how great. And so, you know, there's been moments, 32 years of marriage where I'm like, oh, you know, you hit those rough patches and this feels like suffering. <laughs> there's been moments as a dad, you know, where you're like, oh my gosh, my kid's losing their mind for a while, you know, and you're like, this feels like suffering to me. And so, the, you know, there could be various stages. And I know in my life where I've, I've, it's, I've felt like those moments, but uh, probably if you were to press me, there was a, you know, physically we, we have our injuries. I got like 13 plates and can't remember, like 32 screws on this side of my face. I should have ducked a left. <laughs> then I, I got a slap shot on the face on the other side. I got like 40 plates and, you know, I don't know, 32 screws over there. And so uh, it just looks like they all went in my nose, but that's, that's, that's not here or there. So, so it's, tough, it, it's tough doing air travel then, you know, you go right. through the magnetometer, yeah, you know, like exactly <laughs> wand right. in your head. Yeah. <laughs> but, but fellas, I would say Atlanta towards the end of my career, I was playing in, in Atlanta for the Atlanta Thrashers. Once again, a team that no longer exists. So, you know, I'm, I'm old. So, but I had uh, three back surgeries in one year and it was just one thing after the other. I, I've overcome so many injuries. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to beat this back thing. And then I, I wound up getting a staff infection after my, my first surgery. They thought they got the staff and then I, I had to have another procedure and then after that, they, they thought it was all gone. And then like a month later, the staff had returned and they'd never really got it. And it wound up uh, going into uh, my heart. And so there was, it was real nip and tuck there for a while. But I think they said you have like a 70% chance of living. The good news is I made it. Okay. <laughs> so <you guys laughs> Apparently <know>. so. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. So, so honestly, fellas, that was like physically, that was kind of an up and down. Cause I was always like, no, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to beat this. And that was the first time where I just really felt like I got beat down. I remember when they gave me the last diagnosis, I was sitting in our team's practice facility and, you know, you're supposed to be this big, rugged guy. And I just broke down crying, man. I was just like, I, I don't know if I can get back up again. And then physically, I couldn't return from it. So, I, Well, you sounds like you never changed from that little kid that your father was watching who every time he fell down, you got back up. Yeah. That's not always easy, especially when you get beaten down too long. That was something that you said, this is time. It's time to go. Yeah, well, it, it was actually, I had some nerve damage uh, oh. down the left side of my body. So uh, the nerves don't fire. It was hard enough when the game was already too hard for me, you know, when I could fully, fully function. And so now that the, the left side wasn't working, uh, you know, Gretzky and Messier and those guys are uh, a little too much to compete with. Well, you played against them, correct? Yeah, sure did. Was sure Gretzky did. a good a skater as he, as he appeared on TV? You know what you guys wouldn't believe is, uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky is not a big guy. I yeah, got a very, moment. Very slender. We, we got a moment for a story. So, sure, absolutely. So absolutely. My first time playing against Gretzky, he was with the LA Kings and a five-on-five five fight broke out. So everybody grabbed somebody, and I have Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> and I'm like... Don't hurt a living legend. Well, well so here's what I did is I, I actually pushed him away because I was like, hey, Wayne, I don't want you. You're too small. You know, I, I didn't want it. It looks bad. So I wanted to grab a different guy. And so he grabbed me, though, and he goes, he goes, no, no, let's just stay here. <laughs> and, and then I then I got a thing. I'm like, I'm with Wayne Gretzky, and I was like, Hey, man, would you sign my stick after the game? <laughs> well, that's so Bobby Clark, who was your GM when you were on the Flyers. I, when the first time I met Bobby Clark, I couldn't believe how small he was, and he wasn't big, muscular. He was slight, and this is 
when I was growing up, this is pre-Wayne Gretzky. He was the marquee player of the NHL. But then when you're telling me that about Wayne Gretzky, it kind of makes sense because those guys, and they're around forever too. You know, Kev, while we're on the the thought of the Flyers, I I just wanted to, you know, I spoke to Adam on the phone last week or so, you know, just a a get-to-know-you phone call. It didn't seem like we, we got off on the right foot, so I wanted to offer a little bit of an olive branch. Uh, I, I had told you that I was a, uh, a Devils fan, and, you know, you curse the Devils a little bit, so uh, <laughs> I decided to uh, talk to one of my friends. Mike is now putting on a LeClaire Flyers jersey. Come on, man. Nice. I just want to make you feel a little bit more at Mike, home. I feel at home. Hey, Mike, I didn't want to tell you this, but uh, Adam, the whole reason Adam's not in hockey is because of LeClaire. <laughs> and it kind of brings back bad memories. Uh, yeah, I got my I got my little flag for you. I could probably hang it up there. I got a little towel. And, you know. <laughs> Mike, I got a Leclerc story for you. Johnny Leclerc, boy, he would, bro, he he had the biggest ass you've ever seen in your life. Like, just solid. And so you'd go to hit him, and he would just, he would knock you down. But then he'd just be all alone by himself, and he would just fall. <laughs> it's one of those things. Well, that was, that was like, who was it? Eric Lindros was a big butt guy, too, or one, yeah. of, one of those... Well, he was just chiseled. It was just not fair. He was he, ripped and huge. First kid that ever made me feel old was Eric Lindros. Because yeah. when he signed that big deal with the Flyers, I said, man, he's he's younger than I am. Yeah, crazy, right? It was, it was just at that time. Yeah. I was like, man, he's younger than I am. And he's the star. I was like, ah, forget it. You've done all these things. And, and we're not even really here to talk about your NHL career. And I'd love to sit here and tell these stories with you at all times. But in my opinion, it's such a, a small portion of your life. But you've had all these great achievements. What do you think your greatest NHL achievement was? I, there's not that many to choose from. So if I'm if I'm trying to think <laughs> through some uh, 14 years, there's there's, there's more than you think. Out like 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 a cool thing is, is I, I did not score many goals. Uh, I can't, I think it was like 37 in my whole career or something like that. But I did have three overtime winners, which is for a, for a sluggo. To have overtime winners, that's it was it was pretty cool. Getting and mobbed I, by your teammates and I scored yes. the last goal of the previous millennium in the NHL. So we were in Vancouver, scored the last. So there's my little trivia, and hopefully we'll allude to the, this one later. Then with the uh, with the Flyers, I got a chance to play in the longest game ever. The I remember. I remember that game. Yeah. I remember. I remember sports writers writing about it. I it, didn't watch it. It was intense. It was crazy. The game started at seven o'clock at night and ended at three thirty in the morning. Wow. Spoiler alert, we won, and it was it was amazing. And hockey's such a physical game. People don't realize it. They, you guys make it look easy when you're out there gliding across the ice. But go out there and just skate for an hour. You're drenched. Yeah. You're just you're exhausted. You got, hockey players in modern era are in way better shape than you think they are. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, you guys both know. You guys train and all that stuff. But I tell you what. So after that game, you know, we win. And the win was amazing. But how cool is it when you get back in that dressing room and you just peel off your sweaty, soaking wet equipment <laughs> and you just got nothing left? As a man, I just can't begin to tell you that that soul satisfaction. Like just, a, man, I, I left it all out there for my teammates and all that. And there's something about that, you know. That, Especially uh, to come out victorious. I was yeah. going to say, have you ever been on the opposite end of one of those where you lost one of those real tough games and then you go back and you peel off your sweaty stuff and you're like, yeah, got to be like that empty feeling. Yeah, I played in Hartford for the Whalers, so we weren't really very good. But there's an awful lot of that in my career. No, hey, any Hartford fans out there, I love my time there. So, yeah. Opposite to your greatest NHL achievement, I'm sure you've had some tough times in the NHL as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. As far as in the NHL, the most difficult thing is, you know, you spend your whole life, you're trying to make it to this one moment. And then, you know, I realize, especially you got time to look back over your career, you know, I think I would have enjoyed the ride a lot more because it's such an intense thing and you can't have a bad day at the office. Someone's uh, yeah. ready to take your job. And when you mess up at the office, you know, it's not going to be on ESPN the next day. It's very intense. So I, I get a little bit of that because as a as police officers, we mess up, we're, we're front page news. When you do something good, it, we're, it's very rare that we're making the highlight reels. You know, oh, that's what I wanted to bring up to you. So, thing, this ref issue, this hot mic that just came up. So, a referee says something on a hot mic that he's going to give somebody a penalty when he's talking to the other referees. Is this common? 
Uh, you know, it's funny because my interaction on the, you know, when in the games and stuff is you do a lot of talking with the referees, the lines, but you get to know them all. You know, a few of the guys one time, you know, after a game, I'm, I'm driving a guy back to his hotel and stuff like that. So it's, there's, a, there's a camaraderie there. Along with that is you can get real casual, you know, and you get like personal, okay, this guy, he, he makes me mad or he irritates me or so, Hey, at the end of the day, these guys, they're wearing the stripes, but you know, they're, they're dudes, they're people. You know, right. I'm not sure if that. Uh, how that had to play with well, it. Well, they had the referee in the NBA that got yeah. busted yeah. for for changing games like that through his calls. I was I was always curious about that stuff. I'm sure throughout your career, you've seen your players gambling. That's it's life on the road, right? You know, you got to look for some sort of vice. Sure. Was it ever a real big issue that you saw? Uh, guys, would, you know, on the planes and stuff like that would, would we, between each other. Yeah, yeah. Nothing yeah. like Michael Jordan esque. Type no. of gambling. No, well, at least not, not where I was sitting on the plane. Not openly, <laughs> not openly anyway. Not openly, right. So you had 95 fights in your career. What role does fighting play in hockey? I know, hey, it's exciting to watch, to watch two guys going at it. And there's a, there's definitely a way that's, that it's done. It's almost like a dance. When you get into the NHL, is it common knowledge that this is what you're supposed to do? Or is this something that is ingrained in you coming up through the ranks. I'm really sad to see that part of the game kind of phasing out. To be to be honest with you, because I do think it has a plays a role in that. It, it really does help keep the peace, it, and it makes people count the cost before they do something yeah. stupid. You know, and uh, and honestly, it really helps keep the the elite players around. So you know, Gretzky and these guys. You know, they always had a big, you know, Dave Semenko or a big guy that was going to be there to help police and an enforcer around them. Yeah. My, yep. my favorite is Dave Schultz. Yeah. He's my favorite enforcer of all time. The funny thing now is my mom cuts his hair and there's Dave Schultz getting a pedicure. Yeah. <laughs> and really unique guys. So if you can imagine if that's your job, you know, uh, when I was playing, I think the schedule was like 82 games or something. But just just the intensity of knowing every time you go into a game. They would have to see, okay, who's the opposing team's tough guy? I'm going to have to fight him. And just all that angst and anxiety, you know, beforehand. And, and it's funny because we've seen some guys, you know, be it with the, the head concussion issues and whatnot, guys have taken their own lives. Yeah, there, there, was, uh, there, there is a reason maybe why some of the stuff is getting pulled out of the league and stuff now because, yeah, that, uh, the whole concussion protocol and, and that kind of thing was there. I had a, uh, an interesting story. We had um, it, like kind of a protocol or an etiquette to fighting, to fighting. etiquette, yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And so we had uh, we had our tough guy Jeff Odgers was fighting uh, another guy, I think Danny Lemieux, or uh, in Arizona. And it was funny they they lined up next to each other, and we had all the momentum. And so so Danny Lemieux was going to fight uh, our guy, our tough guy, and he's like, no, no, let's let's play a little bit first because they don't get to much ice time. And so finally, he just says. He, they stop at the face-off. They're talking to each other, and they're like, hey, I fought you last game. You have to fight me now. <laughs> they, they drop the gloves, go at it, and then afterwards, you know, they go out and have a beer together afterwards. Well, that's the beauty of any type of battle. I used to see that in college football. Yeah. So you you were crossed the line from a guy, and you're saying nasty things about his mother and <laughs> what you did to his girlfriend last night. It's gladiator rules. Game's over. Everything's good. Yeah. And then you go out and you, you have a beer with them. Those things, unfortunately, are going away. And I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. I don't want anybody getting hurt, anybody getting concussions, but th that was always part of the game. With those enforcers. So those enforcers are told, this is your job, protect so-and-so. It's understood. It's yeah. understood. Yeah. Okay, that, that, that's kind of the point I was trying to make. I, I, I can't see anybody telling them to do it because that's... There's liabilities in yeah. there. Yeah. Especially if someone gets hurt or something. Well, he told me to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, buddy, there's a hundred different players that are better than you, but you're tough. Yeah. Was yeah. there was there any enforcer from another team that you didn't want to fight? You know, like you say, that's a tough guy right now. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't really feel like fighting him. Yeah, there's a there's a lot. Mike, my, my, my mindset, to be honest with you, though, was always I would rather fight the tough guys and lose because mine was more of a pride issue, you know, <laughs> you're supposed to lose. You just get points for showing up. Yeah. You know, you fight the tough guys and whatnot. Yeah. I got some bad footage of getting beat up by a few of those guys. And then there's some guys that, uh, became teammates that I lost to as, as well. Like some guys, I'm like, I can't believe I let that guy beat me up. You know? <laughs> well, you know, that, that's one of the things me and Kevin were throwing around. What's it like you're playing for a team and you have a fight with a guy on a next, on an opposing team. Then a guy gets traded to your team. 
the guy that you just fought like a couple months before, now you're on the same team. What's it like when, like when he walks in the locker room? It's like, hey, hey, you know, how you doing? <laughs> you did it perfect, Mike. It's exactly what it's like. Right? Hey, yeah. So we, we did, uh, got talk when he, uh, Rick Tockett. When he Ricky Tockett. He used to have the crooked nose. God, he's one of my favorites. Yeah. And I didn't know he's a lefty. <laughs> and so, uh, we, we dropped the gloves and I, I did the, I made the mistake of thinking while you're fighting, you know, that's not a good thing. And I remember thinking, I'm like, man, I'm doing pretty good. And then he switched hands and he just clobbered me with the left. And, uh, I thought my eyeball fell out. <laughs> so I, I was trying to put my eye back in and, and then, uh, we go to the penalty box I wanted to blow in like kind of a bloody nose and, and I didn't want him to see. So I was like kind of blowing my nose and then my whole eye exploded. <laughs> so I was like, ah, this is not good. I probably need to go somewhere. And so I had, uh, you know, eight hours of surgery after that. And, but then the following year we, we lined up, we played against one another and me and talk were, I, I lined up next to him and he's a good dude. And, uh, and I'm like, talk, if we go at it, hit me on the right side this time. Okay. Not the left. <laughs> and so then we wanted to play together in Philly. In and Philly. so, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a good time. I told him I wanted to rematch, but I really didn't. <laughs> well, you two were fighting it out for the best mullets. <laughs> I will tell you that. I've seen, I remember Rick Tockett's mullet and I've seen your mullet. I don't know what it is about the the nineties mullets, man. <laughs> it's a tough, tough handle, but I don't, you, I don't have to worry about that. No, no. Your mullet's gone. Yeah, it's gone. Long yeah. gone. <laughs> you retire. You figured out it was time to hang up the skates. What's that like going from you, you've reached the pinnacle of your profession. You've been to pro hockey. How did it feel when it, when that little voice in the side of your head that says it's over? The the good thing for me, Kev, was that the, the doctors told me it was over, you know, so I didn't, that I didn't have to wrestle with that. Relieves a little pressure. It yeah. does. But I will say this is, uh, I, excuse me, this is an oversimplification uh, about just men tend to find their identity and what they do. And I, I thought I had that handled because I'm like, no, I'm, I'm a Jesus guy. I know my identity is in Christ and I'm, I'm real solid that way. But I, so I was somewhat surprised as I was transitioning out of the game and retiring still how much of, okay, who am I now? And there, there was a, a, a bit of a wrestle there. It wasn't too intense. Cause I see some guys really, really struggle with who they are if they're not a hockey player, you know? And so that was a, a little bit of adjustment for, for we see it in law enforcement all the time. People become so ingrained in, I am a cop that they're nothing else. And then they retire and it's kind of, they're, they're lost. They're lost until they can find, refine themselves. And I watched that over and over my career. I always told myself, that's not, that's never going to be me. I'll always find something else to do. I was always wondering if that, that was a similar issue for you. Especially uh, since you're playing since such a young age, now all of a sudden it's over. Kevin also, you know, we, we both retired because of an incident. You know, I was involved in a fatal shooting. Doctors told us to retire as yeah. well. So Doctors told us, thing. pretty much told us to retire. And, and, you know, I worked my whole life to become a cop. I went to work one night, had one incident, and all of a sudden it was just gone. And it, it wasn't my decision. I, I wanted to keep going, but the doctors just kept saying, you know, because of post-traumatic stress and all that, you really can't go on. And it just felt like my life was stripped from me. One day I went to work, the next day I never worked again. A hundred percent. And I, I feel like too, that just that sense of purpose and meaning we, I believe, you know, we've been designed and created for a mission, a purpose. I, I mean, you guys are, what you're doing now is just, this is, this is amazing, you know, helping people and whatnot. And so I, I know for me, and, and, you know, I know eventually we'll get there, just transitioning more to kind of what I'm doing now. I had to get a real job, but just that idea how my, my, my faith really was that anchor where, Hey, I, I was a, an NHL hockey player. Uh, there was an image bearer of Jesus on the ice. And then when you retire, I'm still an image bearer of Jesus. Now I'm just doing something different. And so no matter where I go, my, my, my true identity never changes. And so I really credit that because I've seen some people really fumble through some that uh, these transitions and kind of groping with, okay, who am I now? Who am I now? So I, I really got to credit my faith. So your faith uh, stayed that. constant the whole time? I, you didn't find God as people commonly say today, F I found God. Well, uh, you know, I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him. <laughs> it sounds like you had it all along. Yeah. So I, I don't know what we have time for or how deep to get We have it. all the time in the world for you. Well, we're, we're both retired. So yeah. We <laughs> and and I'm, I'm a pastor, man. I just play golf and, and, then, and then preach on Sunday. My uh, walk of faith, my story of faith really started and I had referenced uh, that my parents divorced when I was 11. And so 
what happened, my, my mom, she was, she was agnostic. My dad was a very nominal Catholic. You know, we, I always joke he was, C, he was a CEO Catholic, you know, Christmas and Easter only, <laughs> uh, that, that type of thing. And There's so, a lot of them. Yeah, right, right. So when my parents divorced, something odd happened. My dad got custody of us, um, myself and my brother and sister. And so my mom, she just found herself kind of searching, like, man, her life just blew up. And then she was drawn to a church. And it honestly, it was a it was a holy roller, like crazy charismatia church. But but James she, Brown was the uh, <laughs> was the it, minister. It, it, I mean, she it was a baptism by fire. Like she really went in. But she heard uh, the gospel. Gospel just means good news uh, of of Jesus Christ. And uh, she heard it, man. And it just it changed her. It was like oxygen to where she was. And then naturally she wanted the same for her kids. And so, so we went and, and yeah, that was a, it was a life-changing moment for me. Get this at like 12 years old, you know? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always jealous of those people that have that life changing. I don't know if you watch that movie. I can only imagine. Didn't see it. With, uh, it's from that band. It's about that guy that sings in Mercy Me. Mm-hmm. And his father was just a real son of a bitch, alcohol, just not a really nice guy. And. He goes away and he finds the Lord, finds the good news, and he spends his time trying to become a better person. And this guy says, he goes, I watched my father, who was a monster, get transformed by Jesus. And I guess he had that aha moment like your mother had. And I'm always very jealous of those things. I'm not jealous. Jealous isn't the right word. I'm I'm kind of in awe of it. It's got to be a wonderful feeling to have that you watch your mother get transformed by the gospel, go from a woman whose life was blowing up to a woman of faith. So I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, Kev, that's where I get is, is like, uh, so I know what gets me through kind of my moments. I mean, uh, if, if you're familiar with like uh, the Bible, the scriptures, it, it's kind of my job description now. Right. But, <laughs> but, but uh, man, the, the, the story of the Bible is man, Genesis three, the whole world goes to hell, man. And it's, and the reason why, um, you know, we, we lose our children, the reason why there's sickness, the reason why there's COVID is just, man, Genesis 3, man, sin entered in and it just jacked the whole thing up. And Sodom so, and Gomorrah, correct? Yeah, man, the, the whole story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything else. And so, uh, man, we live in a busted up world right now. And so just to be able to have, you know, that hope knowing that that day to day, man, God's got a purpose for my life, that in the end, God said he's going to wipe away every tear, you know? And so it, it gives, it's, it, I don't know how people that don't have that, man, how you're doing it is just, uh, it, I'm in awe of that. You both, sounds like you've always been a man of faith. So how did you find this career trajectory? into preaching the faith. Yeah. That's, that's kind of an odd transition. And this is, this is really why I wanted you in here. It's it, Listen, it's great that you were in the NHL and it's really cool to hear some of these old stories. I'm more interested in you went from here to here, two completely different career paths. Well, it makes sense, right? You go from beating up people on the ice to beating the Bible into them. And <laughs> Fight, so. Fighting Rick Tuckett to standing behind an altar. That's right, right. man. But from it, a penalty box to an altar. Listen, I, we used to say you're, you're a mean MNF and soldier of God. That's that's what we used to say in, in high school. So I, I, I don't know if that's the case or not. I'm just I always thought that was cool when I was in high school. I, I agree, man. I'm I'm with you on that. I, I like that. But yeah, the, the trajectory like was uh was was real different. You know, obviously you go to the NHL, then retire. And what happened to me is uh so I always had my my personal faith in God. Like I said, re- received the Lord like at 12 years old and kind of was doing my my best when I moved away from home at 16. I was like, "Lord, you can have most of me, but I still kind of want to party on the weekends and want to go do this." And <laughs> and then you know, I was I was kind of like the halfway Jesus guy. And then then at 18 when I got drafted in the NHL, I had a real come to Jesus moment there because you know, I was supposed to be drafted in the first round, like 12th overall, and wound up going real late in the second round and just kind of felt like I'm, I'm kind of screwing up my life, you know, with me in the driver's seat. And so I just kind of put all my chips in like a Texas Hold'em, man, like, Jesus, you just, I'm, I'm all in, show me what you got. And really wasn't any turning back after that. And then I had something interesting. Then I was kind of living my life and then I had a, a guy, an ex-goalie. So, Mike, be aware of goalies, man. They're just all weird. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I know Chico Resch very well. There you go. There you go. Hell of a nice guy. But, yeah, Chico's great. Yeah. So I had an old retired goalie. He, he went into the ministry, became a pastor, and he was a, he was a buddy of mine. His name is John Blue. And John pulled me aside. He says, he says, Adam, what are you doing for the kingdom of God? And I'm like, well, bro, I'm 
man, I'm, I'm loving my wife. I'm not cheating on the road or anything like that. I'm, I'm, you know, putting some, I'm giving to the church. I'm reading my Bible. You know, I'm a good guy. And he's like, he's like, he's like, bro, I didn't ask you about your morality. He says, he says, what are you doing for the kingdom of God? And to be honest with you, you know, he kind of pissed me off a little bit. <laughs> I was like, I was offended because he hit home. And then I, the, it was really an eye-opening moment for me because I was like, man, that really, if you open up your Bible, man, it's all about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And then this idea, and is just knowing the rugged guys that you are, the idea that God has a, a purpose for us. And this idea of, uh, man, that, that he's a great king and, and he's advancing his kingdom in the earth. There was something very intoxicating to me about that. It's like, man, we don't have to just try not to cuss too much until, you know, God comes back and fixes this thing. I was very grateful. And that was kind of a, a turning moment for me that I was like, man, I'm, I know God wants to do something through my life. I don't know what it is yet. So uh, uh, long story short, uh, I had a, another guy come into my life. He's my pastor, kind of mentor. He would take me around with him traveling to like, campuses and stuff and had me share my testimony and it just sucked fellas to be honest with you and i'd be like blah, 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 you know just kind of babbling my Stumbling way through stuff. On yourself. yeah bro and uh, it was terrible i remember he let me preach in his church one time you know because i was the hockey guy still playing and and uh honest to goodness guy i was supposed to talk for 30 minutes I was done in five. <laughs> they, they had to start making up prayer. Hey, let's come on, do a prayer line and all this kind of just trying to fill in the gap for me. You know, so nervous. Was, I'm dude, sure you were real oh, nervous, bro. Yeah, it was. I had a I had a stack of notes, you know, so high. But to be honest with you, I never thought I'd be doing this. I always thought I'd just come alongside the ministry. I'd get into broadcasting. I enjoyed doing that towards the end of my career a little bit. And so, but God, God had another plan. Somebody said something to me the other day. So you get nervous when you're up in your first time at the pulpit. The first time you have any experience that you have zero training in, you're going to react as if you were a child. So what's a child do when they first get up in front of a crowd of people? They're nervous. They, they go real quick. They talk real fast. They go, and they're over real, real fast. Or what happens when you're presented with a challenge in front of you that you don't quite know what to do with? You may get angry. Just like a child. Throw a temper tantrum. Just like a child. It doesn't surprise me. And that's everything in your life. Any type of challenge that you're presented with, if you have no experience in it, you're going to react like a child. One question I have, and I don't want to say lose faith. Is there any part in your life where you like questioned God? Like you said, you were supposed to be a first round draft pick. Now the picks are coming. Your name's not getting called. Is it, did you like look up and say like, God, why me? Or, you know, what did I do wrong that you're, you're taking this out on me? My, it's such a great question, man. And bro, like there's moments, uh, you know, even today I, I can, I can have it, it bubble up in my heart. Sometimes I'd be like, so Lord, let me get this straight. I'm the guy, you know, loving my wife, you know, trying to make your name known and, and that. And then the dude that's sleeping around on his wife on the road and he's the guy just, you know, living like the devil and all that. And that dude gets to keep playing and, and I get my career short. Like, this is just real talk. Right. No, yeah, I, yeah absolutely. And, and so, you know, I get that. But then, you know what? The, the question I, I didn't ask is like, I mean, I got to play. You know how many, how many people that uh, I'm growing? You know, it's, it's the top 1% in yeah. all of the world in the globe. Mm -hmm. And so, and I got to play for 14 years. I just was asking the wrong question, to be honest with you. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad too, that God doesn't do it on a, uh, what you deserve, because uh, what I deserve is. It's probably more on what you pretty, can handle. Yeah. 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 Well, that's so, what they say. God, God only gives to the strong people what they could handle. Yeah. Like I would say this to you guys, and I think the, your entire podcast, the suffering is, I mean, I, I think God gives you more than you can handle. But the reason being was like my mom, she needed more than she could handle and it pushed her into a relationship with the Lord. There's moments in my own life like this, uh, this whole the COVID thing, this last year, man, I don't know about your, I mean, everything was, so as a pastor, think about this. No congregation, right? So no, so no congregation, you have immediately switched to kind of this online kind of thing. And, and, and listen, we're, we're dependent on people to, to give and stuff yeah, like right, that. I yeah. still got to pay rent and all yes. this kind of stuff. So there's that. And I don't know if you guys know this, but there was an election uh, this past year. So you can imagine how intense that is. Then we get, you know, social justice, social unrest. So that you throw that into it, then you get, oh, now masks, no mask, vaccine, no. So there's just this intense thing taking place. It was more than I could handle, Mike. So I was just like, it caused me to lean into God even more. Like, I'm just like, Lord, if you don't come through, I, man, I, I just got to, I got to walk by faith. I watch a lot of people lose their faith. I watch a lot of people get tested during this whole pandemic. Some people did get 
closer to God. And it also drew some people away from God. Because again, I think it's part of it. You hit the nail on the head where they're asking the wrong questions. An example of that is somebody's going to ask God, well, God, how can you put this plague on man? You know, if you read your Bible, there's been plenty of plagues and they're all tests and there's reasonings behind them. So depending on your perspective is how you deal with those questions. Figure that you're never going to be able to ask the right questions. You have to rely and fall back on your faith. How is it preaching on Zoom? People have asked to come on this show and they want to do it virtually. And I said, I really don't want virtual because it's like a hollow chocolate Easter bunny. (laughs) You know, it's still chocolate, tastes good, but it's not that solid chocolate Easter bunny that you desire. You just don't get the energy off the crowd. By the way, you don't like those peeps. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I, yeah. No, 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 no. Sorry, the Easter bunny, man. I don't mean. But, uh, well, Jesus has risen, so hide the eggs. (laughs) Hide the eggs. No, man. Yeah. It's like, uh, there's something, there's definitely a different dynamic when you, when you get people together and are preaching to an audience and you can kind of, you know, read their body language and that type of thing. It's even hard now. We're, we're meeting, we we can only meet with a capacity of 50 in a, in person. So we're doing both virtual and in person thing. Even to get the masks, I never realized how much, man, I need to look at people's Fate, yeah, you lose so much by that. You know what I'm saying, guys? I read a lot. I read lips a lot because my my hearing's going. Hundred yeah. percent. I, I do a lot of. I, I didn't hear you, but I'll just shake my head. <laughs> and hope I didn't agree to something. Right? <laughs> yeah. So you're really tied into your faith, Adam, and it's a very admirable trait. But I want to know from your perspective, how has your faith in God and your faith in Jesus advanced your life? I want to know how it's added to your life. Yeah. So I, honestly, I mean, my relationship. With God, and I do want to distinguish that too between, like, religion could take it or leave it. But for me, the the foundation of the Christian faith is this idea of a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know if you, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but April fourth is Easter. The big shindig is about, hey, guess what? The grave's empty because he's alive, you know. And so it's this idea of a of a relationship with God. Man, when life punches you in the faith, in the face, it, at least I, mean, I like that. Punch you in the faith. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, it's you, true. Man. That was a Freudian, Freudian slip. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But it works. That's yeah. great. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a scripture. It says, uh, Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It says he, they, that he despised the shame. And so I think, man, you guys can agree, man, there's just so much crap in life and, and it, it sucks. And, and Jesus would say it sucks. We, we know like even the, the basis of your podcast, but, but if you can, if you can endure, and hold on that stuff that was meant to crush you or destroy you, man, it can be turned for good and for glory. And that's the big idea of man, Jesus he gets on that cross and he, I think he's the ultimate example of, of suffering and enduring. He's, he's the guy. Yeah. He's the ultimate. He's Mr. Sufferer. The, the ultimate example that the, the word, uh, excruciating, it, it means from the cross. So we get that, that, that excruciating pain. And yet he says he did it. What for, for you and I, because he, he wanted to have, uh, brothers and sisters, you know, sons and daughters that he would, he would purchase them on the cross. So man, well, for, for me, it's everything, bro. Well, look at, look at what he did as far as Jesus as a story. If Jesus hadn't have gone through that suffering to further mankind, it'd just been some Jewish guy that walked around in the desert. Bro, Jewish carpenter. Yeah. 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 You know, well, I heard a, a quote one time said, uh, the greatest man in the world opened up his arms and he died. <clears throat> I, th- I thought that was so so powerful. If you think like, you know, Jesus dying on a cross, what did he do? He opened up his arms. Yeah. Then he died. Yeah. The priests in my high school, I went to a Catholic high school. The priests in my high school used to just shake their head at me because there was a statue of Jesus up on the wall. And I was very tied into my faith in high school. So there's a statue up on the wall and Jesus has his hands up praying over the people. And I used to walk up to it every day and give it a high five. <laughs> well, they thought that was blasphemous. And they were none too happy with me. But for me, it wasn't a disrespect thing for me. It was, that was my relationship. He's just one of us. He's a brother. He's a sister. He's a father. He's, he is what he is or she or however you want to make it. And they didn't like that because they were very tied into that dogma, that tradition. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily, I know that's not how your church operates. I want to start talking about, that's what your church is, a non-denominational faith place. Yeah. I think that's where everything's moving now. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. 
Yeah, I do think there is a, especially as, as you know, we went through as a uh, difficult a time as we did this past year, that it, it's pressing people. People are wanting answers to life's biggest questions. I think even sociologists and scientists, they said that everyone's asking like, uh, who am I? Why am I here? What's wrong with the world? And how can it be fixed? I mean, I believe just that the Christian faith, Jesus, his story, and the scriptures answer those questions better than any other faith, denomination. And I think just a, a lot of time, I don't know about you guys, but before the pandemic, I, I'm going a million miles an hour. The the pace that we were going at, especially here in the Northeast, oh, yeah. insanity. And so you don't even realize, and suddenly we were all like had to put on the air brakes. Now you have time and you're starting to evaluate like family. Like I hear about so many people now, like your kids are home and all that. You actually take a moment to evaluate, okay, why was I doing that? Why was I caught up in that rat race so much? And maybe my kid doesn't have to be in 8 million sports and I, we can enjoy and have a family life or these type of things. In other words, we're slowing down and we're now we're reevaluating our priorities. And I do think some of those questions will be the God question. You know, at the end of the day, it's going to be a pretty important question to answer. You know, coming from a sports background, Adam, you see a lot of people who are so into their team. I kind of equate it to being like a religion for a lot of people. I know this is especially with, I'm going to really hammer New York fans. Big problem in New York. The Yankees are God. I don't think that's very healthy. I always say no team ever pays me to, to love them that much. Right. Was that an easier transition because you saw those really enthusiastic fans? I, I think, you know, what you're dialing down on, Kev, is, is worship. It's, it's what it is. So I remember we was, uh, my wife and I were, you, when you go on vacation with babies, it's not a vacation, right? It's a trip. No, you, you need a vacation after. It's a, it's a trip, right? Yeah. It's not Especially a vacation. Disney. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my wife and I, we had one of those, we were flying and then, um, we were flying back home. It was a, it was a red eye. And so we're flying coast to coast and a dude, uh, three seats back from me, he, he, we had the little in-screen TVs, you know, and the, uh, baseball playoffs are going on. And so this dude's apparently he's a big fan, man. So every two seconds, he's like, he's, he's clapping and just blowing up in the, in the, and my wife is trying to sleep. And so you guys know, you've gotten this look before where your girl kind of looks up to you and she's like, are you going to handle this yeah. or, you know? <laughs> and so I'm like, I prayed for a second real quick. I'm like, please God, let me be able to take this guy. And I, I turn around and, and then you rip the shirt over well, his head. I turn around and I'm like, bro, we're trying to sleep, you know? And then he was immediately uh, apologized. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Two seconds later, they get, you know, he had a triple and there's like, and he's like, oh my gosh. But my, my point being the dude couldn't help it. Like real worship when something really captures your heart, dude, that it's not singing and stuff. like It's, it's what really comes out of you, man. You want to see someone worship, you see you know, like my girl, when they go to the mall and see some outfit or something, they're like, oh, ooh, you know, that type <laughs> of thing. And, and to answer your question, just as far as I think that's what, that's what God's looking for. I know that's what I've experienced in my own life is uh, this idea of just, man, uh, you're just a fan of Jesus. I mean, people paint their faces and their body and stuff like that and go out. And I'm like, well, I, I know you, depending on what kind of denomination you go, like sometimes like people will raise their hands in church and it'll wig people out. And I'm like, brother, have you ever been to a football game? You know? And it's the so, devil's fans that paint their faces. Bro, so I just let you know that. Bro, so. Stop being jealous. Yeah. <laughs> but, they, you know, the, the, whole poor, the whole idea behind love is when you tell somebody, this is the way I was taught, when you tell somebody you love them, if you're telling them because you think they need to hear it, it's wrong. You should be telling somebody you love them because it makes you feel good. And it's the same relationship with God. There are some people that are caught up in this ritual and it's not even faith. It's, I need to go to church because if I don't, I'm going to hell. I need to tell God I love him. Otherwise I'm going to hell. If that's the only reason you're doing it, you're doing it. In my opinion, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. It should be that feeling inside. Correct. Yeah. It's well, so that's where, uh, you know, Christianity is so great. So you guys ever been to Dave and Buster's? Yes. You, yes. Get, you, you do all those games and it's like, dun, 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 and like, it gives you all these tickets mm -hmm. and then you go and you get some, you know, you got 8 billion tickets and you get your kids some cheesy plastic toy <laughs> that you could have bought. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think a lot of times, you know, we approach our faith where it's just kind of, it's like a Dave and Buster thing where you're like, Hey God, I read my Bible today. Ding, 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 ding. Hey, you know, I, I didn't cuss or, you know, I didn't do this and ding, 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 ding. And we just think then we can, you know, present it to the Lord. Now give me heaven. Now give me a promotion. Now give me, it doesn't work like that. The, the scripture would say this, that our good stuff is like filthy rags before him. Like, like, so get this. So not your bad stuff. Cause we all know we got junk. You guys would not want to know my junk. I got junk. <laughs> and, and yet, but God says your good stuff. So that's, that's like next level. 
And so the, that's why it's such good news is that, wow, God could save a, a guy like me. And now we live our life from a place of acceptance from God and life becomes worship now. Now it's like, man, God, you love me. You accepted me. And now we live our life out of that strength. So in other words, now when I go to the gym, man, I can bench press as unto the Lord. And I know whatever I do, I'm going to do it heartily. And, and that this becomes worship. I can love my kids and be like, God, like I, I want to strangle my kids right now. But you know what? I'm going to love them like, like you do. And so in other words, everything becomes worship, not just singing and doing stuff like that. So I hope that makes sense, guys. Yeah, I'm, yeah, sure, I'm, I know getting, I'm getting on my pulpit now. No, no, no. Because I, 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 right I'm trying to find... Don't worry, I won't take up an offering. <laughs> <laughs> do you find yourself more accountable to God or more accountable to yourself? When, oh. How you live your life? Oh, 100% before the, before the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You're accountable to him. Do you believe that he is always looking over you, watching you, or your actions are governed by what you might... You don't want to offend him. Yeah, yeah. I, I think too uh, the idea of just uh, like with him it is uh, that's where I think it's it like where like Christianity above other faiths and just have you know respect for people and all our listeners and stuff here. But the cool thing is like so our faith says that God became a man. In other words, like he wanted to get up close to us and, and with us. Forgive me for doing this example, guys, but I don't know if this will help make sense. And I, but I think it leads into the suffering is this the idea of. Uh, there's a couple things that are true about me. So I got to live my dream of playing in the NHL. The average career is five years. I played 14. I got to make $9 million uh, over my playing career. I married my high school sweetheart, hottest chick in school. We've been married for 32 years. All right. So Poor, poor woman, right? So, so, <laughs> so those things, those things are all true. Now, can I tell you some other things that are true? Is, man, I, I was terrified the whole time I played in the NHL. That man, someone's going to take my job. I'm just not going to measure up. It was exhausting. That my my wife and I about three months ago we we hit a rough patch, man, in our marriage. I mean, it was one of those ones, fellas, where you're like, man, are we going to get through this thing or whatever, you know? And and so and then there's a lot of times that that uh, man, I just I I can struggle with fear. Is my church going to make it? But my point being, both those things are true. Which person do you feel closer to? Do you relate to the $9 million guy and all this kind of stuff or the person that's been through some difficulties and stuff? And and so uh, I don't know about you. I feel closer when I feel people, man, the stuff that you've had to go through, Mike, that you've had to go through. It it brings us, it's, it's our humanity that connects us. How amazing is it that God would connect to us? He'd become a man. Man, you talk about suffering. He knows rejection. He knows what it's like to be abandoned, betrayed, all these different things. And so that's the kind of thing where I'm like, man, I, I feel close to him in that. I think part of me has a tough time humanizing God because I, I find it disrespectful and blasphemous. Mm -hmm. So one of the few times I was really starstruck, I had lunch with, I won't say his name, but he was a really, really big movie star. And we were there through a mutual friend. I was real nervous. This actor gets up, goes to the restroom. I'm talking to my friend. I'm like, you bring this guy here? You couldn't give me a heads up that you were bringing him? I said, this is ridiculous. This was a really, really big actor. Comes back and he says, hey, uh, yeah, Kevin's really nervous about this. He looks at me right in the eye and he says, you know what, Kevin? I wipe my ass with one hand, just like you. And after that, it was cool. It was cool because he, he had humanity at that point. Yeah. But uh, to me, it's very tough to, to picture God having humanity. But I'm... That's what connects him to us. Which is, which is great. Like when I'm going through it, I like to know, oh God, you understand because you've been through it before. You know, it's, it's tough to be us in, in the, in the world. But then there's other times, man, where I just need to know God and you can, you can wreck shop. You can, you can do a miracle. You can do, and you know, and then that's the, that's the one I want to fall on my face and just be, worship or be like that dude on the airplane. God, you're amazing. You're amazing. You know, <laughs> especially yeah. when you get a good pump. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you've been a pastor for how many years now? Oh, bro. Man, I should have been ready for this one. I, I retired in 2002 and then went right in the ministry. So right in 2003. The so yeah. you're heading up on 20 years, 19 years wow. of being a pastor. Crazy. You probably had lots of different successes. What would you peg as your greatest success? Bro, I, it's so funny. I, I was really stuck. and I took time. I'm like, because my honest answer, Kev, would be like, man, I don't, I don't feel like I did anything. You know, it's just... um. And it's just God. So, uh, we, but you would be the conduit. So you have to take some of the credit. Yeah. Um, I, I think I don't have a good answer because there's nothing where I'd be like, 
oh yeah, yeah, I did that or did the, I just, I honestly don't have that. I think the, the one thing I would say is only, I think it's like only 20% of the churches that, that start ever break a hundred and uh, last past the first year. It's like 20%. So I was just like, well, we're still here. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I don't, I don't have a good answer for that one, bro. I, I'm going to answer it for you because yeah. I already know it. Yeah. It's, aren't you supposed to be humble before God and your humility and even yeah. attempting to answer that question is, <laughs> it's kind of remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. You've seen this suffering throughout your life. You've, you follow a religion that's based on suffering. What do you think it's taught you? Here's what, uh, what really, what I've learned and just like observing humanity, like you guys being in law enforcement or EMT guys or whatever, we, we get to see some parts that people don't normally see. Like, you know, you get to see a lot of tragedy, you know, we make a lot of hospital visits and stuff like that. And so we get to see human suffering at a different level than maybe a lot of people do. But here's one thing I've learned, like what my faith has helped me with is, listen, everyone goes through some degree of suffering. And in those seasons, you know what, there, there's, you know, there's good and bad in every season. Isn't that funny? Like you might be blown and going in your career, but your home life is a train wreck. And, or, you know, maybe your home life is great, but you're really struggling financially or whatever. And so the, the idea is what, what really my, my faith has really taught me to do is, is, is fix my eyes on above things, like to, to look for like what's good and what can I focus my attention on? You guys will see in the, in the Bible, there's this constant theme of gratitude and give thanks. And now it's so funny is like, I feel like research is catching up with the Bible now. It's like now all these scientists are showing us how, man, if you, if you have a gratitude journal or if you give thanks, all life's measurables go shoot through the roof. You know, your joy, your life expectancy, all these different things. I really learned to like fight to look at what's good and right in every situation, you know? So that, that has been something that the scriptures have, has trained me to do. And then I think the, the other thing is, especially as it pertains to suffering is, man, the kingdom of God or what, bro, we, it's a team sport. And we need each other, man. There's only one superhero, at least in, in the Christian faith. And his name is Jesus. Man, the rest of us, bro, we, I, I need other people in my life, especially when the, you know what, hits the fan. I don't know if you guys have heard this one, but I thought it was pretty cool. I don't know if this is true, dude. I'm not a rancher or whatever, but I heard this is like that there's the, the difference between cattle and buffalo. Do you guys hear this one where cattle, when a storm comes, they scatter and they run away from the storm. Buffalo, when they see the storm coming, they gather together. And so they get the, the, the warmth of one another and then they get the support on either side. And then they run into the storm because now they're, they're hitting it at maximum speed, maximum force, and they're through it quicker. I just realized, man, that I, I, I want to live like a buffalo, <laughs> that it's just like when life is hard, I want to know I have other brothers or people that I can call on that sometimes you need a kick in the pants and sometimes you need a pat on the back. My daughter's into animals, man. She, she tolerates people and loves animals, right? So she <laughs> said that I love animals way more than dude, people. Dude, but yes, I said all the time, dude. So, so somehow when she was younger, she talked me into buying her a horse. She, we have nowhere to store it. Like it costs, like it costs like a grand to, to, to like put them up. And so I'm like, baby, we ain't doing that. Daddy don't roll like that. <laughs> so she wanted to send her horse down to North Carolina. My sister's down there. Everything's like way, way cheaper. So, so we could do it. So she gets me to ship this horse down. I'm like, how much does it cost to sh ship a horse? So we get this horse down there and I don't know how like daughters, man, they can convince daddies to do Without stuff, bro. It's, 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 we, we get it down there. Fellas, the first night it got down there, there was a torrential downpour and this horse got caught in some ravine and it was, it was stuck in mud up to its chest. Now they're having to call the fire department in. They had to bring in a backhoe. I'm like, how much does a backhoe cost? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, you guys know, man, I'm just ching, 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 <laughs> thinking about all this stuff, but get this fellas, the, the horse got stuck. And one of the girls that worked at the barn she goes up to, they couldn't get the horse out, but this girl walks up to this horse. She looks at this horse in the face and she says, get up. The horse didn't do anything. She swats the, the, the horse on the face. She said, I said, get up. And all of a sudden, sure enough, it's like a Disney movie, man. This horse gets up out of the muck and the mire, crawls out of the thing that the fire department's dumbfounded. And I'm like, oh, thank God I don't spend any more money, you know? But 
She'd cost a lot less than a bulldozer, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> but fellas, tell me, you don't, there hasn't been times in those like, when you just need someone to smack you in your face oh, yeah. and say, bro, All the time. Up. Get up, man. You're going to get through this. And That's how I live my life. I, yeah. I need that per- person kicking me in the ass yeah. on occasion. At I bet you've done it a few times too, Kev. You got, that, you got that intense gear. Adam, you're an amazing guy. You really are an amazing guy. I appreciate you coming in here and speaking with us because... I don't know. It's something I I can't put my finger on it with you, but there's something about you that I don't want to say infectious because that's not the right word. <laughs> you got me. You got my mind thinking. Like I said, ever since we sat down and talked that one day, you had my mind working about all the stuff that you said, and you're just real cool about it. You don't push it on anybody. You say, "Look, this is what I believe. This is what I follow. This is how I think." And it's infectious. And I, I do appreciate everything you're saying. Awesome. I really do. Thanks for coming in today. And I'm sure that gets through to your congregation too. Like you said, you are, you are infectious. You're, you're, we had what one phone conversation and I felt like I knew you, you know, I mean, this Jersey helps a little bit too. But. <laughs> you're genuine. Yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. that's it. Maybe that, that you're genuine. genuine. Yeah. You're a genuine person. So I want to talk about all the stuff that we've learned today. You know, if, if you have a job, even if you think it's a job that you really want, that might be something that's not your calling. So keep your mind open. Pray for a random person. It just may change their life. And something that I think is so important is sometimes life punches you in the faith. You can find Adam Bird at Every Nation Church, New Jersey. Go to their website at everynationnj.org or check our show notes for the link. Thank you all for listening to this episode of The Suffering Podcast. Take a look for us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Thanks for all the love. Thanks for all the support. And we'll see you on the next episode of The Suffering Podcast.